Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. In this episode, I talk to Marge McFarlane, Principal at Superior Performance Consultants, about OSHA's COVID-19 Emergency Temporary Standard and what it means for healthcare organizations. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Marge McFarlane, Principal of Superior Performance Consultants, uh, and we're going to talk about the uh, OSHA's COVID-19 uh, ETS. But first off, Marge, I wanted to... Uh, well, first off, welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. I am an independent safety consultant at this time. I originally joined the healthcare continuum decades ago in the laboratory. And so I am a medical technologist who became the safety officer of the laboratory and did the chemical hygiene plan and then moved into hospital safety and became part and chair of the environment of care team. And because we had such a turnover in facilities, I was also involved with facilities documentation for the environment of care and eventually got my certified healthcare facility manager certificate, even though I don't do boilers, chillers, and generators. Mm -hmm. I can inspect them, but I don't actually use them. And so as I left my hospital, I continue to do OSHA training, mock joint commission, and CMS surveys for the environment and care emergency management and really life safety, the physical environment, and helping people understand what are the regulatory components of the standards. People don't know necessarily that it is a standard, how to show that they are in compliance with the standard, and then what does sustained compliance with the standard look like. So when OSHA published the COVID ETS, the emergency temporary standard for healthcare, it was an opportunity to kind of take a look at what does this mean for healthcare, not only hospitals, but nursing homes, hospice, and clinics who are seeing patients as this COVID pandemic continues. Well, why don't you, I guess, sort of uh, explain, you know, what the ETS is and, and sort of, you know, where things stand with it right now. Okay, so in June, well, let's back up one more. The pandemic was declared to be a public health emergency in March of 2020. And at that time, the administration indicated that the OSHA general duty clause, meaning there was a recognized hazard, therefore you should protect your employees from it, and the CDC guidelines were sufficient. When the administration changed, in 2021, the current administration posted a notice saying that there more, there needed to be more rigorous or more uniform standards from a national level that people could comply with or would comply with. So the ETS was promised in March and delivered in June. And what it is, is a guide it is, I'm sorry, it is an OSHA standard that was published on an emergency basis because COVID continues to be 
a grave danger. OSHA defines grave danger as non-fleeting permanent health effects. And we have known many people who have succumbed to COVID as well as the long COVID symptoms that are out there. Now, there was also people who got the COVID and recovered readily. And so that would be your SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes the COVID-19 disease. The emergency temporary standard outlines a series of actions that are meant to be put in place as layers to protect healthcare workers when they are face-to-face -face with patients who may have symptoms of COVID-19. So starting with vaccination is the start, but that was not included in the ETS. There is no mandate for vaccination in the COVID-19 ETS that was published in June. We are expecting news that healthcare workers, those receiving Medicare and Medicaid money will be expected to be vaccinated and we're anticipating that to be issued within the next couple of weeks. What it talks about is the layering of protection, also known as the OSHA hierarchy of controls. So the best way to prevent infection is to eliminate access to the virus. And telemedicine does this quite well. If you can see people and not have to be face-to-face -face with them in the same breathing zone, you're less likely to get the virus. Then it talks about engineering controls. And this is where we come with improved ventilation and physical barriers. And it talks about work practice controls and administrative controls. So your number one always is hand washing, hand washing, hand washing. But right. the other ones talk about social distancing, one-way traffic, limited limiting the number of people who are in the waiting room at any one time, limiting the number of people who come in to support the patient, which has been a challenge in some situations, but you just don't want a lot of extra people crowded together in a space where they may be sharing the same breathing zone and maybe spreading the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Then it talks about personal protective equipment, which is always your last choice, right. but is very important in protecting people from the hazard. So in 2020, they really, CDC really talked about contact precautions, droplet precautions. And so we thought that the cloth masks and the surgical masks and the medical procedure masks would stop the respiratory droplets. But as time has gone on, they have found that there is an aerosol transmission component. And so N95 masks then were required, mm -hmm. according to the ETS, for healthcare workers who were within six feet of patients who had COVID or COVID symptoms. So it's just this whole layer of policies and procedures, screening people. If you're sick, stay home. If you get sick while you're at work, who do you tell and you need to remove yourself from the workplace? And then how long do you have to be off? Do you need to be tested? Uh, 
are you vaccinated? Are you not vaccinated? These are all CDC guidelines that have come into play and have changed as we learn more about the virus. It would be ideal if in March of 2020, we had all the answers. That is not the case with this new virus that we are facing. And the challenge we see as healthcare today is that the virus has mutated and the Delta variant is out and about and community transmission is high and critical in some areas. And when we talked about contact tracing in the beginning, it was who were you exposed to and where did you get the virus and we can quarantine you um, if you are, or we can isolate you. Quarantine is I've been exposed, but I'm not sick. We're going to watch you. Isolation is I am sick. I need to remove myself from everybody around me. In the beginning, when the numbers were low, we could do contact tracing. Now with community spread, it's almost impossible to find out where people were infected. And as for the ETS itself, um, this sort of newer version hasn't been published yet. Is that correct? Because that isn't in effect yet, or are we still waiting for that? Okay, so um, I used the ETS word twice. Mm -hmm. The COVID ETS that we are talking about, we're talking about layering protection, where you need a plan, you need ventilation, you need hand washing, you need education for people on how they would recognize if they have signs and symptoms, medical screening, elimination from work if you're sick, that is in place and was effective in June. On, in June. Right. Okay. The second ETS that we are expecting any day now is the word about mandatory vaccine for healthcare workers that work in institutions that take Medicare and Medicaid money. Okay, the word ETS means it doesn't go through a public comment period. Because that means it, it, that adds so much more to the time it would take to actually pass it. Abs absolutely. And so if it is a grave danger, which is the permanent non-fleeting right. um, sequela from the COVID, I mean, people are dying from COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And healthcare workers have been deemed to be most at risk because where do the sickest people go? They go to their primary care clinics, they go into the ER, they walk into urgent care and to freestanding clinics. So they are feeling poorly and they need to be assessed, potentially tested for COVID-19. And it's those healthcare workers that are greeting them and seeing them spending more than 15 minutes within six feet in a 24 hour period that this ETS really focuses on. But it also talks about if I've been exposed, the challenge with COVID itself and the Delta variant is that I could be asymptomatic, meaning I'm not sick, I don't feel bad at all, but I have the viruses and I am spreading them with my respiratory secretions as well as just by coughing in a room. 
And so when I go to the break room, there have been outbreaks of healthcare workers where everybody's wearing masks, everybody's washing their hands, but then they get into the break room, they're closer than six feet together, and what do they do? They take off their masks and they share a meal. Right. And those people then are being exposed to each other and getting COVID and getting sick. So basically, you know, We've already got these requirements that were passed in June, and now we're sort of waiting for, you know, a new set of requirements that was announced in September um, that could happen any day now, I guess, like you said. Um, and that would basically call for, that's calling for all employers with more than 100 or more employees to uh, make sure their workforce is fully vaccinated. Um, Correct. Right. And so my understanding that there was kind of three prongs to that statement mm -hmm. in September. One was all employers. So this is regular employers, not necessarily healthcare right. employers with more than 100 would require their employees to be vaccinated or have some testing process. The, my understanding is that there's a healthcare component where if you are a healthcare entity, be it a clinic or long-term care or a hospital or ambulatory surgery, and you accept Medicare and Medicaid money and patients, so you're under the CMS mm -hmm. guideline, then those people need to be vaccinated, period. Right. Okay. And then there was the statement about federal workers and contractors and them being uh, required to be vaccinated. So those were kind of three buckets worth of workers. So I think the federal guideline is out and dates have been set, but the other two are, we're waiting for the standard to come out. I had heard around the 15th of the month and we'll see if that happens or not. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, one other thing I want to ask you about was the, um, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA, had uh, released some concerns about the ET, the June ETS, in terms of um, you know some of the requirements. I think they're uh, particularly concerned about the provisions dealing with ventilation, physical barriers, uh, and transmission by inhalation. Um, what have you checked? Have you heard about this? And do you have any thoughts on it? Well, I read the article that you sent me. Mm -hmm. All right. And um, industrial hygienists, um, I am one, so I can out myself here mm -hmm. um, and say that I'm an industrial hygienist as well as a laboratory person, are very prescriptive. And so they wanted language saying that it's airborne, all right, and therefore you want good mixing in the room and everybody should be really in respiratory protection is what the highlight of that article says. And I don't necessarily, I'm looking at it from an operational standpoint. It is hard enough to get healthcare workers who are face-to-face -face with patients who are sick in N95 respirators because of the past shortage, let alone everybody in the building where the air is. They talk about people being at registration. Okay, are they breathing the same air as the patient who comes in potentially with COVID? And the answer is absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, and so I just don't see 
registration people being in N95 masks. So I think that the whole ventilation issue is something that could be further studied. They did talk about the hierarchy of controls. Mm. And when I heard them specifically speak it out, I assumed that it was implied in the ETS. And so their argument was it didn't say vaccinate first and then do the you know physical distancing and PPE at the end, which is the way the hierarchy of controls goes. The order of the template plan kind of mix and matches how people think about different topics. And again, industrial hygienists and myself as a laboratory person think very literally, you know, you start here and you go there. Right. Right. And so their concern is that people didn't understand when you talk about layering controls for effectiveness, that PPE was not your first choice. Right. Okay, we understand that. All right. But not everyone reading the plan would say, oh, disinfection and PPE is are kind of in the middle of the plan as opposed to further down mm -hmm. in the list. And so that was their concern. I totally agree with them going out on a limb here that the mini respiratory protection program serves no purpose. So this is Marge's opinion <laughs> that the fact that people wearing N95 masks and they're not fit tested are missing the point. The purpose of wearing an N95 mask is that they're the only filtered air is being breathed in. And if it's not fit tested, the possibility of it leaking around the nose piece and around your cheek area, especially if you have facial hair, is right. very high and you defeat the whole purpose. And it would give people a false sense of security. I think healthcare has a challenge fit testing the people who have to wear N95s, especially in clinic settings now, let alone everybody in the building. You know, so I think that that's a challenge. What I didn't necessarily agree was they said that you could wear just a face shield and not have on any kind of mask at all. And I, my assumption was that you would wear, oh, one of those KN95s or those non-NIOSH approved face pieces to help protect you when you're wearing a face shield from splashes. Mm -hmm because we cannot ignore the fact that there is some droplet transmission here too. Right. And so I think it's a balance. And if we had, this is the answer and this is how we need to do it. And we've known this all along and the requirements haven't changed. It would be easier for people to understand. Uh, the biggest challenge I see today is that CDC just before the Delta surge said that Vaccinated healthcare workers did not need to wear a mask. And then with the Delta variant surge and the high community transmission, they said everyone in healthcare should be wearing a face mask. And with the ETS, they have said it should not be a cloth face mask. It should be a procedure mask. The problem with cloth face masks for healthcare is that some have two layers, some have three layers. The weave is different. Some of them are handmade, which is not a problem. I made quite a few of them in my time when we were first wearing masks, mm -hmm. but they are not consistent. Some people are just wearing a bandana like 
is if you were a bank robber. Right. Um, you know, so, I mean, there was just no consistency in the filtering ability of the face mask, and people don't realize that it is source control. It is stopping your droplets from going into the atmosphere. It is not protecting you from anything that is in the atmosphere now. And I guess, obviously, the, the issue, too, with the changing guidelines is that the disease has been mutating. So, you know, we're what was true or what we knew in March 2020, uh, you know, was very different in September 2020 and is very different in October 2021. So, it's, you know, it's, it keeps changing. Exactly. I would have loved to have seen this ETS come out last fall, mm -hmm. a year ago, a year ago. All right. And so when people say they need to follow the general duty guidelines, I don't think that people understand what does that mean. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it talks about an employer needs to provide a workplace free from recognized hazards that could cause physical injury or death. All right. And so to be cited for the general duty guidelines, the employer failed to keep the workplace free of a hazard to which the employees were exposed, and we're talking about the SARS-CoV-2, mm -hmm. the hazard was recognized. We know that it was transmissible, and we know that people were getting sick and some of them were dying. The hazard was caused or likely to cause death or physical, serious physical harm, you know, check. And then the last one, there were feasible and useful methods to correct the hazard. And that is where masking, distancing, not gathering, all of those hierarchy of control processes come into play. And I don't think that was well explained. Now, the ETS does say if you are screening your employees for symptoms and you do not see patients who have COVID or COVID symptoms, all right, then you don't have to follow all of the rules of the ETS, mm -hmm. okay? But you have to follow all of the general duty guidelines and you have to follow all of the CDC guidelines. And so when it talks about screening people and screening employees, how do you know that you're not seeing anybody with COVID-19 if you're not screening your employees and screening the patients? You know, you still need a decontamination and cleaning and disinfection program. You still need to be wearing personal protective equipment at a minimum for blood-borne pathogens when you're contacting patients. You need a written plan if you take CMS money. It can be called anything you want. It can be part of your emergency management plan. It can be part of your pandemic plan. It can be part of your infection prevention plan. It can be your COVID-19 plan. OSHA is not particular about what you call it or where it's located in your files, but it has to talk about social distancing. It has to talk about hand washing. It has to talk about personal protective equipment. It needs to talk about cleaning and disinfection. It needs to talk about reporting hospitalizations of COVID of employees to OSHA no matter how many you have, you know, whether you have to keep a 300 log or not, mm -hmm. if you have an employee with work-related COVID case and they get hospitalized or worse, 
they pass away, those things need to be documented to OSHA. The challenges with the community spread at the level that it is across the nation, it is really hard to tell now where you got exposed. Was it at home? Was it in the bus? Was it in the grocery store? Was it at work? Yeah, and, and I guess that sort of leads to my next question, which is, you know, we're almost 20 months into this pandemic. Um, you know, how do you think we're doing? I mean, obviously, I think everybody expected originally that this would be long over by now, but uh, it keeps going on. You know, do you see an end in sight or is it just going to kind of always be with us like, you know, like the flu and like, you know, other things that kind of recur? Well, I think of it more like measles. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, it's going to, it's going to reoccur. Yeah. I think that there will always be pockets of unvaccinated people and there will be areas where it may come again um, seasonally. Right now it's, there has not been, there've been waves, but it really hasn't been very seasonal. Right. We're, we're 20 months in, but I really believed that people thought once the vaccine came, everyone would be willing to be vaccinated, yeah. be vaccinated, I know, be vaccinated, okay? And then you would have a level of transmission that is far lower than it is now. The Delta variant uh, will, you know, on, will be transmitted to seven unvaccinated people, whereas the original COVID would be transmissible to about two, two and a half people. Mm. Okay, and so if it doubles, it's a geometric spread. So if I have one and then I have seven, okay, then those seven each infect seven more. You can right. see how the spread happens right. very quickly when people are exposed. The Delta variant is higher in quantity. The information that we have today says that the viral load in your upper respiratory system is quite high. So when you think about how do I get sick, it is um, my health, my immunity, okay, and versus the pathogen, which is the COVID-19. And it talks about transmissibility and that includes dose. How many viral particles am I exposed to? And what we're finding with the Delta variant is that we're exposed to many more viral particles in a shorter period of time that could overwhelm my immune system, even if I've been vaccinated, which is why we're having some breakthrough cases. All right. Um, what impact would you say COVID-19 has had on uh, infection control prevention efforts in general? Well, in the beginning, uh, everybody was washing their hands. Everybody was being very, very careful. And now when I encounter people who are unmasked in public places, who are not washing their hands, they have pandemic fatigue, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And they are just tired of doing this. And they want it to be done. And I don't know that that will help shorten the course of the pandemic, that we need to breathe and just kind of make another charge 
at this where hand washing, hand washing, hand washing is the most important thing that we are continuing that we are continuing to social distance and wear masks in public places where the community transmission is high. My husband and I traveled just recently um, to a community that we came from and the community transmission rate from public health was critical. Okay, that's what they said. And so that's based on how many people per hundred, per thousand were being diagnosed with COVID and it was critical. And my husband went into the grocery store and he said, no one was wearing a mask. Hmm. No one was socially distanced. And he came flying back out because he had his mask and he wore it for me. Um, but um, people are just saying they haven't had it yet. They're not gonna get it. And I think that that is not necessarily true. Yeah, and I guess in terms of um, you know healthcare uh, and infection prevention, um, has it caused you know organizations to focus more on you know sort of best practices? Uh, you know, just the the fact that you know you've there's so you know this thing is so easily spread. Um, one would hope. I am not in a healthcare setting today, so I can't speak to mm -hmm. what different institutions are doing. All right. So as I talk to, I'm doing a lot of work with clinics across the nation and different clinic groups. And they're saying it's not that bad and we really don't need to follow all of the guidelines. And it's, if you are seeing anybody with COVID symptoms, you know, then you need to follow all the rules of the ETS. So the biggest challenge I see is that we all are familiar with the loss of taste and smell hmm. from the original COVID. I mean, everybody was talking about, oh, I went and got myself tested because I lost my sense of taste and smell. With the Delta variant, that is not how the symptoms present. They present as a headache and as a runny nose, potentially an earache, and people feel poorly and they say, this is the worst cold I've ever had. That needs to be a red flag because those are the key symptoms of the Delta variant. And so if you are seeing patients where they're coming in and they have like cold symptoms, um, you need to have them mask and you are wise to put your healthcare workers who are within six feet of those patients in an N95 mask and make sure then that you are cleaning all of the high touch surfaces in the space. Um, the AIA, um, not AIA, the AIHA guide uh, article that we read mm -hmm. talked about um, you don't have to clean any differently and you may not need to clean any differently, but you still need to clean with a disinfectant that is listed for COVID. So you need to go to the EPA end list and find products that are listed for COVID. And all of the high touch surfaces need to be cleaned between patients, just like you would clean them in regular days. People, who turn rooms, get tired of cleaning because the room doesn't look dirty. 
unless there's been, you know, blood and guts in the room, right. you know, they think the room's not that dirty. And again, with droplets, they're going to settle on surfaces and it can be transmitted that way too. So yeah, we're, we're still in the thick of it. Um, we are still in, the, we are still in the thick of it. I think it's going to take some significant amount of time. Um, and hopefully people will reconsider and be vaccinated when the mandate comes out. Yes, definitely. Well, Marge, thank you so much for joining me today. This is, uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's a tough situation. I can't believe it's still going on, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot to keep track of and thanks for helping us do that. You're welcome. And, uh, thanks so much for having me on today. All right. That wraps up episode 39 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening. And I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. Subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.